this is uh, part three of our series on the apocalypse, and we're looking today at the future of the church. And when you're looking at the future of the church, there are two basic uh, opposing views concerning the church of the future. The first is the optimist view. In the 1900s, Christians uh, believed that one day the church would dominate and cover the whole earth, and that the nations would be converted. That was a wave of optimism, and this, of course, has been repackaged today in what is called dominion theology or dominionism, and is subtly often uh, manifested through teachings like the Seven Mountains uh, theology. It is the idea that Christians will one day rule the world, that we will dominate, and when Jesus returns, we will present to him a utopia, a world that is full of glory. I'll tell you straight up, that will not happen. Our hope is not centered upon the church converting everybody. That would be nice, but it will not happen. Because no matter what God does, there will be the majority of mankind that will oppose Him and hate Him for no reason. The second view, of course, is the pessimistic view. In the 1950s, people began to change dramatically the views about the church because many felt that the church was going right out of the window. Time magazine even had an article entitled, Is God Dead? And this is uh, right in the uh, heart of the Cold War between the USA and the USSR. And of course, you know, when you have missile silos 10 miles away from where you are staying, you really want to believe that Jesus is coming back, all right? And the popular teaching and theology today, then and today still is the pre-tribulation rapture, which is the church is not going to go through the tribulation. We're not going to go through the suffering. Jesus will come and rescue the whole church before that happens. And the idea of the pre-tribulation rapture is a journey come lately. All right? It was only popularized in the 1800s through basically two men, Edward Irving, who was a Presbyterian, and J. N. Darby, who was an Anglican. And it, this teaching went into many, many groups like the Brethren, and it was then promoted in what was called the Schofield Reference Bible. And, uh, and then men, came, men like Hall Lindsay uh, came and he wrote the massive best-selling book called The Late Great Planet Earth in the 60s. And boy, it was a massive seller, bestseller. And it sold America on the idea of a pre-trip pre rapture, right? And then men like Tim LaHaye came around and with the Left Behind series and that further strengthened the theology and this was not, but this is not what the apostles uh, thought, right? The apostles thought that the church must be prepared for suffering and tribulation. And I'll come to that in a few moments, right? So it was a very pessimistic view of the church and that the church was a dying cause. And this again is a mistaken conclusion. It's like two men looking at a congregation and the first man says the church is half full and the second man says the church is half empty. It's a matter of perspective. But I would like to propose to you a third a view of the future, and it's apocalyptic, right? Which simply means that things will get worse and worse before they get gloriously better. Come on. And the, everything hinges on one thing, and that's the second coming of our Lord Jesus. In fact, I also believe that while the darkness in the world is increasing, the glory in the church is increasing as well. Amen. They will run simultaneously together, and there will be a climatic end at the end. Amen. Now, the reason why there's so much confusion about this is because many Bible teachers have equated the second coming of Christ to be the rapture. I believe that that is incorrect. I believe that there's not one but two events that has to do with our being caught up. All right. The first is uh, the first translation, if I could use that word, in the, is the Greek language. In the Greek language, is the word ek anastasis or the out resurrection. Now, this is the resurrection of a very select company of people before the great tribulation, and they are referred to as the man-child in Revelation 13. They are caught up before God in the presence of God. They are the manifested sons of God. And I believe that they're represented in the Old Testament by a man called Enoch. All right, Enoch, of course, never 
tasted death and was translated before the flood, who is, who, which is a type of the judgment that is to come. All right? Of course, you know Jesus referenced his day to the days of, of Noah. All right? And in the days of Noah, who do you have? You have Enoch who was translated. You have Noah who was preserved through the flood. And there will be uh, uh, many Christians that will go through the Great Tribulation, but they will be pre preserved in that, in that whole uh, uh, difficult period. And then you've got the remnant, the remnant who believed, all right, who were once disobedient in the day of Noah. And this is all in Scripture. You can find this in, in 2 Peter, a very interesting group of people. Now, this third group of people, those who were disobedient in the days of Noah, uh, were people that lived in Noah's day that believed the preaching of Noah. They believed the message of Noah, but they did not live the lives according to their confession and their conviction. All right? They did not live the lives that was worthy. And then, of course, the flood came and they were all taken away. And there's a lot of it's very interesting things about this third group of people. Now, Paul lists the qualifications for us in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 10 to 11. Very significant verses, I believe. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means, come on, watch this, listen, if by any means I may attend to the resurrection of the dead. This word resurrection is the word ek anastasis. It's the only time this word appears in the entire Bible. It's the out-resurrection. It's not the rapture that takes place after the great tribulation. This is a, a, a rapture, uh, the translation of a very small group of people. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated, hallelujah, so that he should not taste that. The word is metatetamai, right? It's an interesting word. It means to be changed it means to be transformed, right? Now, so Jesus commented on this uh, as well in Luke chapter 21 and verse 36. He said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy, watch this, watch this, to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, obviously he was referencing to the last days and the great events that will happen. He says, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape, that you may be counted worthy to escape. And I believe that this Oh, there's a group of people that will be worthy, hallelujah, the manifested sons of God. And so the issue is one of worthiness, amen. That's the first translation. It is, uh, it is the, the, the man-child being caught up. And again, you can read this in, in the book of Revelation as well. Uh, very significant ch chapter, chapter 12. And then uh, the second translation is, uh, is uh, or the, what we call the rapture or being caught up, the word is hapazo in the Bible, it being snatched up, being caught up, it will happen immediately after the great tribulation, and those who have been faithful and endured to the end, they will be counted worthy, and this group of Christians are different from the man-child, right? they're different from the first group of Christians, they have, been, they have to be purified through the fire of the great tribulation, right? they are represented by Noah and his children, uh, they were preserved in the flood. Now, after the rapture has taken place, the, the world will suffer what is called the wrath of God. We believe that in the scriptures. It's represented by the seven bowls and the seven trumpets judgment. And it will be a terrible time on this planet. Uh, the rest of humanity that are not taken up will, be, will face terrible consequences of, of the sin and rebellion. And Jesus only returns in uh, Revelation chapter 19 after the wrath of God has been fully poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth. He returns physically to planet earth, riding on his white horse as the conqueror, amen, as king of kings, as lord of lords, and he's accompanied by the armies of heaven all dressed in white linen. Now, we'll come to that in a few moments, because that is a very important uh, event that, that must take place, right? Now, I want to look uh, at the church in the future in three ways, right? I want to talk about the immediate future, 
which is, of course, now till the end of this decade. Let's look till 2030. And then I want to look at the intermediate future. And I cannot date this, but I will tell you some things that will definitely happen before Jesus returns. And then I'll look at the ultimate future. And we're looking in the millennium and then beyond that, the new heavens and the new earth and the final destruction and incarceration of Satan. That's very important, right? Now, let's look at the, the immediate uh, future, all right? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus refers to a period of time called the beginning of sorrows where the world will experience her birth pangs. What is the one picture that he gave to us concerning the last days? Uh, he, con- he, called the, he called it the beginning of sorrows. It's a picture of a woman in labor, and the closer she gets to her delivery, the more intense uh, will be her contractions, and the intervals will be shorter as well, all right? So we can be assured of a few things, right? Uh, there will be increasing deception on the earth, uh, not just false prophets or false teachers, but false Christ as well. And Jesus warned us again and again and again and again, beware of deception. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody deceive you, all right? And uh, great deception will be the hallmark of the day, and Satan wants to bring as many people as he possibly can to hell, and his most formidable weapon is deception, and the church's most formidable uh, defense is discernment. So we must grow in our discernment. Amen. And then we're also going to see an increase of wars and rumors of wars. Now, I don't like wars. They're terrible things. And Satan is always trying to precipitate Armageddon, right? Because a war, what happens in a war, it, 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 it curves, it thwarts much of the plans of God for world evangelization. Is that right? I, the moment you have a war, bam, everybody is, uh, you know, the whole progress of world evangelism actually stops, right? Or is, uh, is, is slowed down. Okay. Now, he's always trying to uh, precipitate uh, if Armageddon or cause certain end-time events to happen ahead. Listen, ahead of God's timing. It, it, it is as if he's constantly probing you know, the wall and the defenses of the church to find a weakness, a kink in our armor where he can bam. You know, and so, but there is a restraining force. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, that is holding him back, and the church must be alert. Man, come on, the church must be alert. We must not fall asleep, amen. We must not, it says, while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tears. While we were sleeping, while we were sleeping, and so I pray the Spirit of God will raise the church out of our slumber. Come on, hallelujah, to be watchful. Now, we're also going to see an increase in pestilence and pandemics. Merriam-Webster's word for 2020, of course, is the word, pandemic, which is an epidemic on a global scale. Now, we've all seen what a tiny virus can do, COVID-19, shut down the whole world. And you think about the devastation up till today, right? Over 127 million people have been affected affected by it, and over uh, 2.8 million people have died as a result of COVID-19, right? Now, I assure you, I assure you that we're going to see more and more of these pestilences and more potent ones as well, right? The church must brace itself for these things. Then there will be a famine, uh, famines in various places and wars will be fought over food and water shortages. And this is primarily because the rich have too much and the poor have too little. All right? And then we're going to see stronger earthquakes and greater tsunamis. and all. The earth is going to be shaken like a tree. Right? Lawlessness will abound. I don't have to tell you this. All around us, you're seeing a greater increase in lawlessness. Restraints are going to be removed. Riotings, violence, and uh, demonstrations will be a common thing. It's already happening uh, in many parts of the world. Right? And Christians will be despised and persecuted. It's happening right now in Christian countries like the United States, but it will escalate dramatically as we come to the last days. Now, I would, be, I would be an unfaithful pastor if I didn't warn you of the persecution that's coming. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know 
that the global church is facing um, an increase, dramatic increase in persecution. What, was, what part of Jesus' statement, we will be hated by all nations, do we not understand? Come on, think about that. All right? it often, and it often begins subtly with uh, discrimination, the snide remarks, the name-calling, the, the, and usually leads to a loss of rights, loss of property. The day will come. I'm telling you that they will confiscate your property if you're a Christian. Right? And freedom, and this is happening in many parts of the world right now, then comes the graffiti, the window smashing, and violence, and then bloodshed, and then finally persecution in its most brutal form, martyrdom. Is the church in Singapore ready for this? Is Cornerstone ready for this? Right? Are we being prepared for what is coming? There is a coming uh, there's also coming a great falling away of the apostasia, and many, uh, the love of many people will grow cold. Christians will betray one another, kill one another, and this world will be full of cold-hearted, cold-hearted, backslid Christians. Right? You know, the charismatic movement brought in the largest number of people into the kingdom in human history. Did you know that? But it also produced the, the greatest number of backsliders in the history of the church. Men will become lovers of pleasure, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, more than lovers of God. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And some of you have built your life on your careers and on money. And God is saying to you, you better build your life around me. And because my kingdom is the only thing that's going to end here. Come on. Amen. Now, another reason, of course, why the love of um, so many will grow cold is because of false teachings, right? And uh, people always want to hear something new instead of something old. Think about that for a few moments. But I want to predict to you a few other things that might happen. I've talked to several prophets about this, and I've asked their comments about this. But when it comes to prediction, one cannot be dogmatic, right? I mean, come on. How many prophets, how many prophets did we know prophesied that in 2020, the world will be into a lockdown? Come on. How many prophets prophesied a global pandemic that's going to shut the whole world down in 2020 and uh, much of 2021 as well? How many prophets have prophesied that? So one cannot be dogmatic, right? Uh, and so there are some things that we, we foresee that's going to happen because of the, the patterns, because of the, the sense of the timing, the seasons in which we are living. But I foresee a few things. Number one, I foresee a massive revival, like the charismatic movement, breaking forth within the next few years. This, I don't think that this is the big one, but it will prepare us for the big one. Amen. There will be a huge mobilization uh, for missions in this coming season. I believe that. I think that COVID-19 is preparing the church uh, to be trustful. How many of you are just waiting and longing, man, to go where, anywhere? Just send me, Lord. Amen. I, I predict that there'll be a rapid decline of America. I don't have to predict that. It's already happening, right? Uh, America is going to lose its place as the world superpower. And I believe that China is going to be the dominating world power. And I predict we'll see full-scale wars before the end of this decade. And if you think about it, you know, it takes something very small to actually precipitate uh, a war, right? You know, the World War I was, was uh, precipitated uh, in 1914 with the assassination of the Arch Archduke uh, Ferdinand right, of Austria. World War II began uh, in 1939 with the invasion of Poland by Germany. How will World War III begin? I have no idea, all right? But I'd like you to keep your eyes on the East China Sea. I think that that is a very, very uh, hot spot. I, I, I've been feeling prophetically that something uh, that will happen in East China Sea with regard to Taiwan that will spark a war in, 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 in the, this part of the world, right? Now, uh, that's the uh, immediate future. Now, I want to talk about the intermediate future, and I'm looking beyond this decade in the, and the next great 
world event in history. Hallelujah. What is the next great world event? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to every creature. Woo! The nets of the kingdom will be cast into the sea of humanity and God's going to draw in the souls of mankind. Hallelujah. The greatest farmer that the world has ever known is about to embark on the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. Come on. And we're closer to this than we've ever been before. The church will be in the greatest revival uh, uh, that she's ever known. I believe this is the big one, right? It's going to trust off the world into the greatest evangelism uh, campaign ever, all right? The one continent that the gospel has had many, much trouble is Latin America. But in the last 30 years, man, revival has broken out in almost every country in, in Latin America with great power. Our God is doing something right now because He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to salvation. And He will give every person on this earth an opportunity to hear the gospel, whether they accept it or not, or whether they reject it, that's another issue, all right? But they will have an opportunity to hear it. And that is not to say that everybody will be saved, but everybody will have to choose. The last great ingathering of souls, I believe, will see will precipitate two other events simultaneously that will happen. And they will both be given, they have both been given technical names by Christians, right? The first is called the Great Tribulation. And then the second is the rapture that will happen at the end of the, the Great Tribulation, right? Now, let's look at the Great Tribulation for a few moments. The word tribulation it's just a grown-up word for trouble, okay? comes from the Latin word tribulum. Uh, it's, it's a word to describe a, a threshing sledge with spikes underneath, and it's used to separate the corn from the shaft. And you know, tribulation is when you feel like, like everything is ripping you to bits, right? And it's a term that describes the last few years of human history where history actually goes wrong, right? There will be three and a half years of tyranni uh, tyrannical terror, the dictatorship where an antichrist will rule the world in a totalitarian state, in return for peace and security, right? Totalitarianism is a political system in which a single person controls all thoughts and actions. And we've, man, we've all seen the horrors of a totalitarian state. Sooner or later, it will be plunged into great sufferings and war. But, let, but when you multiply that on a global scale, you get an idea of the great tribulation. The Bible tells us that one third of the world's population will die in that short period of time. Man. Woo, that is massive. I was thinking of, we're talking of billions of people, man, in, in, in a short period of time. So I, I, am, I, am, uh, I am thinking in the back of my mind there probably will be a nuclear war, all right? Uh, but two groups of people will be hated and hunted and persecuted and killed, the Christians and the Jews. Why? Because they're the only two groups of people that will never fit into a totalitarian state. Never. They will never bow down to a dictator, all right? And so we're going to see this happen. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, in verses 21 and 22, our Lord talked about the great tribulation, right? He said, for then there will be a great, great tribulation such as not has been seen, seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor uh, shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. For the elect's sake, all right? Now, at this point of history, there will be such intense agony and suffering as such has never been recorded in human history. Nothing like this has ever taken place before or after. And if God did not intervene, if God did not shorten the days, then no one will be alive to tell the story. Right? If Jesus says it's going to be difficult, my friends, trust me, it's going to be difficult. We're going to need all the grace we are going to get, man. We're going to need all the strength and all the preparation and the endurance to go through that very, very difficult period. And, uh, you know, and it's in the Scriptures, right? 
The second thing that will happen is the rapture. And of course, I've explained that to you uh, earlier. But let me just say this, right? If you have, if you're in that company that's going to be caught up, if you have never flown before, you will fly then. Come on. One Thessalonians chapter four verse sixteen is is uh, one. Yeah, it's the noisiest verse in the Bible. The trumpet will sound. The angels will cry out. The Lord will descend with a shout. Woo! And it will be sh- a shout loud enough for all the dead to rise. Woo! The first people that will meet the Lord in the air will be those who have died, those who have uh, been faithful. The second group of people are those who are still alive. In other words, there's a, there will be a generation of Christians that will never taste death. There will be a generation of Christians, for them there will be no funerals. Come on, amen. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, those, then those who are alive, we who are alive, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Watch this. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Do you know why the Lord arranged for us to meet Him in the air? Because there's not a single stadium on the earth large enough. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Can you imagine a crowd that day, right? That will be there. People from every tongue, tribe, nation, every kindred. They, they will, it will be the biggest Christian meeting ever held. But you want to know what is the sobering thought about this? Jesus reminds us in that day that those who meet in the Lord, the Lord in the air will leave others behind. Right? There will be two women in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two people in the same bed. One will be taken, one will be left. So may I ask you today, are you sure that you are going to meet the Lord in that great company, in that great Christian rally at the end of history? A friend may have dragged you into this meeting today, but I promise you a friend cannot drag you to that meeting. That is only by invitation. You have to be born again and you have to walk worthy of the Lord. That's really important, right? Now after the rapture, listen, after the rapture comes what is called the wrath of God and you don't want to be on this planet when that happens. This is, of course, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, and it will be such a horrible time on this planet that the inhabitants of the earth will be tormented, not just by natural disaster, again and again and again, bam, 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 but also by demonic powers. The, the, Satan will be released, and of course, he will, he, will, he, will, he will lose a war in heaven, be cast out of heaven, and he will come to this earth with great wrath, and he will go on a rampage on a killing spree, all right? So it's going to be a horrific time on, on this planet. And then at the end of that uh, whole period, uh, the final event that's supposed to happen, that's mentioned 300 times in the New Testament, it is the physical return of our Lord Jesus Christ to this world. Come on, amen. He's coming back in the same body in which he left the body with nail prints on his hands and on his feet. And I'll let John the Apostle describe this to you because there's no way we can do it better than him, all right? And in Revelation chapter 19 and verses 11 to 16, he says, Then I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Woo! Hallelujah! In in other words, many victories. He's won every battle. He had a name written on his, uh, that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. and I, It's going to be a red garment. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on, on white horses. And out of his mouth comes forth a sharp sword, and that which uh, with it, it he would strike the nations. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He, treads, he himself treads the winepress, of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his tie a name written, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. Come on, we give Him praise. Amen. We give Him praise. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of Lords. Woo! Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. That is the climatic end. Amen. Now, when the question, of course, we want to ask is, when will this happen? The prophet uh, Zechariah gives us uh, the answer to that in Zechariah chapter 12 and verses 2 to 4. And again, I'll let Zechariah explain this to us because he can do it better than I can before. He says, For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifle, uh, the women ravish. Half the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Now the second coming of Jesus will take place as Jerusalem is besieged by her enemies, surrounded by all her enemies, and he will come and save her just before she falls. Right? And immediately after that, the Bible tells us that Satan is judged, he is bound, and cast into the bottomless pit where he will be incarcerated for the next 1,000 years. Good riddance. Now I want to come to the ultimate future of the church and the incarceration of Satan in the bottomless pit will launch the world into her Sabbath rest and Jesus will reign on this planet for a period of a thousand years. Now the thousand years is called the millennium. It's a technical name that we Christians are given to it. It's actually found in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. It actually means a thousand years in the Latin, right? And the millennium will begin after Jesus returns to this planet. Satan is bound. And uh, of course, we enter into that wonderful period of time. Now again, Christians differ in their understanding of this. Some Christians believe that the millennium is a symbolic figure. How, how silly is that, right? Others believe that the church will start the thousand-year reign, and then Christ will come at the end of the 1,000 years. That's dominion theology. And then others uh, believe what it means. It, just, it means just what it says, right? That, which, by the way, is the correct version, that there will be a thousand years where Jesus will show what he can do when he is Lord of all and when righteousness reigns on this earth. Now, the earth is the Lord's. We all know this, right? But the devil got a hold of it in the garden uh, by default, and he runs the world at the moment now. John the Apostle says, we all know that we are of God, but the whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one, all right, or the evil one. If you think that God is running the world today, you better think again. I mean, if God's running the world, we wouldn't be in the mess that we are in right now. Trust me on this. When, when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness to tempt him, one of the things he said is, if you worship me, I will, give, I will make all these kingdoms of this world to be yours. And please understand, they were his to give, right? And I want you to know that he is still promising the world to anyone who will worship him. He's going to pr promise you heaven on earth, and he's going to give you hell. He's going to promise you uh, pleasure, but he's going to produce pain and eternal torment, for he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And don't you ever forget that. Don't you ever forget that. But it will be different when the Lord rules and reigns over the earth. There will be everlasting peace because there will be everlasting justice and righteousness. It will be a world where even the animals will be at peace with one another. They won't prey on each other. And the government will be upon a shoulder. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Amen. There shall be no end. Come on, I'm looking forward to that. What are we going to do in the millennium? My friends, the world is, gee, the world, there is a world to run. And Jesus is going to need his, his people uh, to be functioning in every capacity of, 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 of human life, right? For instance, the rivers and the waterways would need to be cleansed and cleaned up, right? Somebody's got to do that, man. Some people have got to be appointed to do that. His children will be appointed, right? And the government, because the government will be upon his shoulder. The, the ecology of the whole planet 
will be changed, right? Of course, there'll be a huge shift in the geography as well. And there's, there's going to be lots of worship as well in the millennium and, all, of course, in eternity. And for some people, that's not too exciting, right? Uh, we will be serving in His presence day and night. Come on, man, my friends. So don't grumble when you're asked to serve. You know, sometimes volunteers will say, wow, I'm on duty next week, so sien, you know. That's such a terrible attitude. Such a bad attitude. If, listen, you should say, I, man, I'm on duty next week. Can't wait for it, man. I'm so looking forward to serve Jesus. So looking forward to serve my fellow brothers and sisters. Come on, amen. You must have the right attitude. Heaven is an illustrious place and so will the earth be in the millennium. But there will be a strange thing that will happen at the end of the thousand years. What will happen? Satan will be released for, from his prison for a short while and he will gather his armies for a, one last attempt to overthrow God's kingdom. And after that, he will be cast into the lake of fire where he will join his pals, right? The, the false prophet and the antichrist, right? So there will be a, this one last attempt at the end of the millennium. I don't fully understand this, but it will happen. Then the great white throne judgment will take place, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. Then those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. It's a terrible, terrible place. It's the final judgment. And then finally, a new heavens and a new earth, Revelation chapter 21. The new Jerusalem, which God has prepared, comes down from heaven and God will dwell with man once more. Amen. And I love what the Revelation chapter 20, 22 and verse 3 says, there shall be no more curse. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. The curse over mankind will be finally broken. And the result is, in verse, 20, uh, verse 4, they shall see his face. This is the longing of every redeemed human being. Hallelujah. This is the glory of, of restoration. Amen. Then in verse 5, it says, There shall be no night. This is the glory of revelation. And then in verse, uh, also in the second part of verse 5, They shall reign forever and ever. This is the glory of redemption. This is where God is bringing the church to. Amen. Now, the only other thing that I need to say about the ultimate future is what I have not seen, what ear have not heard, and what hearts have not perceived. God has prepared for those that love Him. Come on, amen. We couldn't have imagined what this world was going to be like 50 years ago. I mean, even 20 years ago, we couldn't have imagined what we, the world would be like today until we got here, right? And it would be different, as different as the being engaged to being married, right? It's wonderful to be engaged, but whoo, being married is the real thing, right? And Paul says that I betrothed you to Christ, but one day there will be a marriage. One day there will be a consummation. Hallelujah, amen. You know, I began by saying that, that talking about the future of the church, the church is the only institution in the world that has a future. Let me just say that as I close. Not, not the governments of this world, not the great MNCs, not the great universities, not the great colleges or the great palaces. The all, only institution that will last for eternity is the church. And that's because it's the only institution on the earth that will never lose a single member by death. Come on, that's so good. It's the only society that grows bigger every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, and so on and so on. It's growing and growing ever since Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on. I want to close by asking you a question. Do you know that you are in the kingdom of God? I, have you been born again? If you say, Pastor Young, what is being born again? means you've not been born again. Because if you are born again, you will know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ lives in you. If you are not born again today, if you do not know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you have never publicly made a confession to people around you that I am a believer, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you think that everything is going to go, okay, Sarah, Sarah, everything is going to be hunky-dory, I promise you, think again, 
The world is going to be a very difficult place to live in the next few years. We are going to see the birth pangs begin. So if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to ask you, please, to take this very message very seriously and invite him into your heart. He stands at the door of every heart, and he knocks, and he says, if any man opens the door, he says, I will come in, and I will sup with you and fellowship with you. God bless you. I hope this word has been a blessing to you. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.